Welcome to the Humor in Games podcast, an analog and video games podcast about how humor is experienced, designed, and analyzed in games. We are Scott DeYoung, Mark Lajeunesse, and Andre Zanescu, and we'll be your guides in this six-episode series. Throughout each episode, we'll break down different theories and forms of humor. We'll draw on interviews with designers, critics, and academics as they discuss the different aspects of humor, their own lived experiences, and how their work utilizes humor in games. In this week's episode, we chat with Ida Toff to discuss their various individual and collaborative projects that explore relationships between technology and playful expression. Yeah, so the kind of scholar I am, I'm a research creation scholar, mm-hmm. which means that I, um, I, I make my making, I contribute and comment on academic conversations through my making, through art making, I mean, partly at least. Um, and so that is my primary mode of expressing or contributing and then the writing comes as a as a follow-up or as a contribute as a kind of um, parallel uh, to to my making um and my so my current research at the lab on my phd dissertation is about vibrotactile motors in um in games and i've been designing games using vibrotactile motor, motors as the primary output um, rather than screens or text or images. Um, so so that is not specifically about humor. I mean, that is definitely not about humor. Um, right. But humor somehow comes into my games, I guess, in other ways, or often comes into my games. Um, uh, the way that I entered, well, I entered games and game making and game discussions through uh, because I went to the IT university in Copenhagen mm-hmm. and there I was a uh, part of I didn't study in the games program I studied in the program for interaction design and HCI okay. um, and I and then I met uh, my friend Amani Nassim and who was in the same program as I was and um, together we kind of did this whole travel, I guess, from what we were doing in HCI interaction design into games. Um, and I think for both of us, it was really important that we were two. I don't think any of us had been able, well, I can't really speak for her, but I would, I would not have been able to do that on my own, just like in terms of how much like sexism I was experiencing and so, so much like resistance in terms of the host- hostility of what, uh, you know, games culture. Right. Um, and... That's great. And so I guess a, a question on top of that as well. I mean, you're someone that definitely combines a lot of art into games uh, and into your research topics as well. Now, on the side of that, do you play a lot of games? And like what kind of games that you would you consider funny in, in the games that you might play on the side of your own work? Yeah, good question. I don't play that many games. Um, I never, I didn't grow up playing like playing games so so that's part of how how hostile this transition also felt to me because i didn't have the game of capital to really understand the conversations and understand the games that people were talking about um i i remember because i came from interaction design where we did a lot of physical computing every time people was like you know explaining all these amazing things that happens in games i always imagined it was physical Okay. Um, until the point where it just did not make sense anymore, and I was like, "Oh, it's on the screen." <laughs> um, so, 
so I don't really have that like game on literacy that I think many many people have. Um, right. And I still don't. I still don't have a console at home. And it's also about. Yeah, I I still don't have a console at home, but I do play games, just games I make up with friends or. Um, more. I'm just more interested in talking to my friends, even if it's social yeah. media, than I am in kind of locking myself into a bubble of of uh, stories and experiences. Yeah, um, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and if I do play games, I play. I like very, very, very short games. I think Lorenzo from uh, Berlin had this. <laughs> he had a blog post, I think, about games that last less than less than ten seconds. Okay. Which is something I find really funny. Like that kind of that's kind of my style, or self-playing games, or you know, like cow clicker. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Think these are really funny um, in a way. Yeah. No, that's 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 really helpful actually. Thank you. Um, and so I think we're gonna kind of jump into some of your research projects here. So I mean, you sent me some to talk about it, but if you find that others kind of better fit what we're talking about, please bring them in and describe them, because um, you've done a fair amount of different things. Um, but one of the first ones that you you sent uh, to kind of look at was called uh, "Can't Touch This," which is based off a 1975 coloring book for, by uh, Corinne Crane. I hope yeah. I'm pronouncing the name correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Could you just, uh, for the sake of the podcast, kind of explain that project a little bit more and kind of your intentions around it? Yeah, uh, it was it was my very first Unity game that I made over a weekend, together with uh, three other friends, and um, it's basically well, I think about it as a meditative drawing game, in which you so Tikorin in the sixties, uh, she drew, she made a coloring book, well, she drew her friends' um, vulvas like very, very detailed, very beautiful. Like when you look through this coloring book, it's it's very beautiful and you can just see how much diversity there are. Mm-hmm. Um, and my friend had brought this one. We were at a game jam in a rural area in Denmark and my friend had brought this one and we were sitting in this, you know, our, um, lo- our locker room or where we were sleeping. And we were just, you know, browsing through this and we thought it was really you know, beautiful and funny and interesting. And and because I didn't have that much, I didn't have any programming skills in Unity. So I was just like, okay, let's, you know, make it into a drawing game. And um, and that's what it is. It's a very, very simple game. You, It's for tablets, like for touch, touch screens. And you kind of draw, draw these vulvas. And um, and then there's one sound effect, <laughs> which is very um, evocative. And uh, yeah, and that's it. And then when you have over a certain amount of time, it kind of explodes into this orgasm, and that's it. <laughs> and um, and and that when we were making that, it was we were very much in our own bubble. Uh, I mean, it it was in in a game jam that is male dominated and all that but we were in our own bubble of having our own jokes and just prioritizing each other and mm-hmm. um and then i remember at at the end of the game jam there was it was like this bu- bubble just burst because suddenly there was like a lot of uh, i don't know there was just like a lot of drama around this game um okay. 
it, it won some kind of award and mm -hmm. some people got really angry and started discussing and then the person who gave the award broke down in tears and <laughs> it was like so dramatic and and um and it was such a contrast between like this meditative drawing uh, experience that we were aiming for and then the kind of shock value that this con game suddenly had um right so, yeah, so I mean, over, over time we have developed this concept of uh, proception <laughs> which is this idea of um the way that this game has been perceived by male audiences as this yeah i don't know like in many different ways but as this like shocking kind of humorous uh, awkward embarrassing shocking kind of statement whereas for us it was a very meditative healing kind of experience well, that's really interesting because that's a piece that we've been talking about a lot too is around like designer intentions especially when you're looking at perhaps making a statement or, or uh trying to design a specific kind of you have a specific goal in mind but then your audience plays it or people who aren't in your expected audience play it and they have very different kind of expectations that's something that happens in humor sometimes when humor falls flat but it sounds like this game kind of brought that out as well mm -hmm. yeah exactly and so how do you as a designer kind of manage like how did how did that impact you as a designer making this game uh, and manage that kind of reception yeah uh i think that i i couldn't be bothered to manage it um i was at a state where i had yeah i think i just couldn't be bothered to because i was so much um focused on prioritizing my own well-being because I had been in a work situation with a lot of abuse and I oh, needed to heal and this space with my friends was my healing space um so the way that it was perceived I just could not bother and um and then it at some point it was uh it was nominated for the Amaze award <laughs> and at the, because it's full of bugs like it's you know it was like my first unity game that I made over a weekend, so it's just like completely broken. And uh, so then, <laughs> then people started like, oh, maybe we should fix all these bugs. And I was just like, no, I, I can't, I don't want to, because my, my, you know, then it starts becoming work and not a healing project, if right. that makes sense. Um, so in that way, I was really resistant to, but I mean, that's m me personally, I can't really speak for the other people in the team, but, but I was just like, I, I don't, want to do things that are not uh kind of nourishing to me around this game for sure I mean, yeah and i kind of have like two other kind of questions around this i mean you talk about the game for you and your team being very meditative and part of that meditation as i'm understanding it was also humor was kind of part of that piece for you guys yeah, yeah it was for sure um, and so but you're saying that the audience reception did not find the game funny at all and in fact people were offended by it is that kind of what people were kind of getting out of it uh i don't really know actually um i mean some people find it very funny i think there are a lot of mixed reactions um i don't know i yeah, yeah, I mean, like, we, we talked about it. We thought it was hilarious uh, when we were looking at it. We thought this was, like, super... Especially the description you have for it on your website. I I was, like, laughing talking about it with my roommate. Uh, right, yeah. Yeah, so that's the kind of humor we did have in the group. And we did laugh a lot. Good. Right, so when you were designing it and you are saying you wanted to design this as, like, a meditative healing kind of game, 
was like when you were conceptualizing it was humor kind of something that you guys said no like to in order to make this what we want it needs to be funny no i think we were just having a lot of fun and that comes out in the game mm. um and and also our different skills in in the team like sabina hara who is one of the designers she's really really good with with puns and puns is something that she finds so hilarious so the game has a lot of puns all the way through like i mean the name itself right um, and i was having a lot of fun with the programming you know how absurd it is to program pleasure and like okay if pleasure is over nine then you know we're having <laughs> this next phase and like just making the programming into some kind of weird poetry that was humorous in its own way and yeah. um so I think we found we made it humorous to us um and and that comes through in the game itself I think yeah and I, I guess what I'm I'm kind of curious around is like when you were designing mechanics right because you kind of went from just a coloring book to something a little bit more interactive in terms of changing brush strokes uh the actual image it sounds like it responds to your your brush strokes in some capacity and so like what what part of that design taking it from a coloring book to making it this final product like were you guys thinking oh that's pretty funny or like how did those kind of come about those pieces mm. Well, I think if we were laughing or finding something funny, it became it came on the list of things we wanted to do, um, things to prioritize. But at the same time, we were so limited by my programming skills that a lot of it is also just uh, kind of glitches or glitches that we that we um, embraced. Or for, for instance, the struck the the stroke changes. Um, we didn't design that on purpose. We were just like, oh, if you move too fast, this kind of becomes this graffiti aesthetic because I didn't know how to account for that in the in the code. But then we are like, that's really funny. Or like also that you can you can just draw all over the place. I, I mean, we were just making jokes around what we were making instead of making what we right. I don't I, I mean, it's a it's a two way process, right? Yeah. But you also get, get get inspired by what you're making and the limitations for what you have. I no, no, I think that's really interesting. It's a theme that's kind of come up in some of our other conversations with designers as well, is how like sometimes a bug comes up and then they think it's even funnier with the bug, so then they work with it and they're like, we're going to keep this in. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Uh, which is really interesting, but it sounds like for you guys, the process of designing was almost just as meditative as it was the actual end result as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, that, that's really cool. Um, and so... Like I guess, I guess one final question around this project specifically that I'm kind of interested in is, like, you guys found this color, like this coloring book, and did you immediately say like this is going to be a game that we're going to make, or did it kind of just come out of, like, how did you choose that to be the topic of this game, uh, as opposed mm -hmm. to anything else at the time? Well, we were four people in this in this room, um, in the sleeping room, and we were like, hey, do, should we make something together? Um, and I think all of us were yes. And then, you know, my friend brought out uh, this game or this book. And we didn't spend too much time. I think think we were just like, we rolled with it. And for me, my I, I knew my priorities because I wanted to learn Unity. And that was, I was like, if you want to be 
on my if you want to work with me as somebody who have no programming skills and want to do unity and and you still want to work with me i thought that was pretty amazing that they wanted to do that mm -hmm. um so yeah we just i don't i don't think we spent too much like brainstorming time to come up with the idea yeah, I was just kind of curious how like that that book kind of came became the object of the game and kind of the story behind it because I mean the book in of itself is it, its own statement, especially for the historical context in which it's kind of dated in, um, and so kind of I just found that really interesting. Um, but I mean, I'm sure we'll kind of circle back to these games as we kind of keep going. But I also wanted to kind of jump to game design for plants. So if you want to just, I know we're kind of shifting gears here, but uh, what were kind of like the goals and expectations around that game itself? Yeah, so that project came out of, um, I was in the beginning of my PhD uh, here at Concordia, and I had some growing frustrations with uh, a couple of things um, in game studies. Um, and and I didn't know how to, how to articulate them, also because I hadn't been doing academia for a long time. I wasn't quite um, you know, in the, and I, I don't know if I would be able to articulate it now, but, but I just felt this like increasing kind of frustration with a couple of things. And I remember being in uh, one of the game studies classes and we were talking about avatars, I think. And, and I pulled out my computer and I just started like, oh my God, how do I make this relevant to me? So I started thinking about what an avatar would be for a plant. <laughs> and I think I posted that as a, as a, as a thing on Facebook, as a joke. Uh, um, and then really funny, like Amanda Dunbar, who, who mm -hmm. is the um, wife of one of the people in the class. She had just, <laughs> apparently when her husband came home, he just found like the bathroom, uh, posted the, the bathroom mirror, like, covered in post-it notes about like questions and like ideas and apparently she had just been like so inspired by this project or by this question um and that's how it continued because it was just like a, a question that was so energizing and so inspiring and it would never really die right so people kept like talking to me about it and wanting to to talk about these questions and and it was interesting um but i never i didn't manage to make any games for plants because it, it was it wasn't the games themselves or the game the design ideas themselves that were interesting the the question it was the questions and the conversations and the whole like unsettling part of the questions that was interesting right the, the um, speculative nature of it yeah uh, the reflections, right? Um, so, so then I decided to make it into a, a workshop because in a workshop you uh, you can you know you can mix design like making with thinking and and you might answer. So in a, when you're designing, you are answering questions because you're when you are making a specific game, you are deciding like okay, so what is humor? What is play in this particular? game case what you know like the questions were just unsettling all these all these uh, assumptions we have and definitions we have about what is a game what is play 
what do we know about plants and how they live and how they work and function and think and uh, and um, ideas about whether you you know then then we would have like how do you design for people who are different than yourself? Can you do? Can you do? Um, can you design games for other people? Can you design over differences? Right? Mm. Can we assume that that um, that 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 I'm making something that is interesting for you? I'm making so many assumptions about what is funny for you or what is pleasurable or what is play for you. So yeah, so it was just really interesting questions and conversations, and I think that the humorous part of it was keeping it alive and keeping it energized as well. I mean, so how much does that kind of, that's really interesting. I'm just kind of thinking about that a little more. Like you're doing a lot of like self-reflection both on the, the role of a designer before even making the game, or if, even if you will make the game, uh, and that of like the, the audience. And so, I mean, did you kind of come to some answers or some personal, a, a way that you personally would answer or perceive these questions around like, do you design kind of what's funny to you and hope that the players who play it kind of agree with you? Or do you kind of try to consider what your players might find funny uh, or kind of build from those dynamics in that sense? Mm. I think this is, I'm, I'm understanding two different questions. Um, one is about whether I decided on any answers to the questions that was raised in the design in the work in the workshop and sorry yeah yeah no, i was gonna say I, I realized that it kind of did come out as two questions so let's start there then let's start with kind of you know you're asking yourself these questions around like these larger theoretical questions before even going into design did you kind of come up with some answers to yeah. you as a designer but i think this is very important for me in my work that and i think this is humor is helping um is helping to keep these questions um, unanswered. So I like that it's this huge bundle of questions and critique and feelings and discomforts and laughs and wonders, and it's all unanswered and un unresolved. And then what I think that that you know when I'm looking at at some of my work, what I see that the humor is doing is kind of like wrapping it all up like it's it's all it's wrapping it all together like a like a ribbon you know mm -hmm. and and it's with the so it's so when you have um when you have something that's a final product like a, a this art workshop or a game or an art installation you ship it as a as a joke but then the moment that you start you know untying this ribbon or opening this box it's like oh my god all these unresolved questions come out at you and I think that's so important to keep that richness and all those frictions without resolving it right so you're kind of saying that you use humor almost as like a, a way to kind of surround like packet you're packaging the product with humor as a way to kind of engage your audience so that as they dig deeper you know starting with that initial laugh they're like oh if I want to keep looking at this then they kind of come across these harder hitting questions yeah I think that's um that is is one way that humor works uh, sometimes in my game and one you know sometimes i i work on something for a very long time like deep deep i'm digging really deep and i'm not having fun like it's 99 percent or 90 percent let's say not fun not <laughs> and it's just like how like i'm just you know theoretical questions and i'm frustrated about things and then like 
oh my god deadline is running out like i have spent a year on this project deadline is running out what do i do and then like humor kind of happens as a way to wrap it up last minute <laughs> um so humor very much comes in near the end of a project for you, not kind of in the early bits of the design process. I mean, like not you're not thinking, but okay. but that that has definitely happened as well. Would you kind of have? I mean, these are this is great to talk, but can you kind of ground this in a little bit more of an example for me? I mean, you mentioned like the workshop, but maybe explain a little further and how humor was incorporated there. Yeah, well, for the workshop, sorry, maybe I jumped there because for the workshop it started with a joke. Um, but what I'm talking about here is another example, which is um, a game installation I called co uh, I made called uh, con uh, sorry, a game installation I made called Earth Place, mm -hmm. which was um, yeah that was like a game uh, a game installation I worked on for a year and I started making these small DIY antennas. I was interested in, in at the beginning, I was interested in well, a couple of things. I was really interested in um, reusing materials so that so art making that doesn't go out and and produce more uh, trash. Um, and I was interested in people who who have a sensitivity over for electromagnetic um, radiation. Mm. And and the tension there are between these these communities and governments who refuses that there is such a thing that happens as a sensitivity to uh, electromagnetic radiation, while these people are really suffering and having a lot of pain. And I was just interested in this tension, so I started working with uh, antennas um, and DIY antennas. And and another question I had was also about how come it is so hard to to both design and also play games and feel connected to the world, both especially in a material way. Um, that that we kind of the moment that we start playing, we are locking ourselves into this bubble. Um, while, in fact, you know, I think Parika has talked about about these uh, geo um, geo technologies and how. The technologies we're consuming are really restructuring the material um, configuration of our planet, um, and and also you know it's so tied up in labor and it's tied up in in very very material things. But it's very hard as, as a designer and even as a player to connect with those with those processes. Um, so I was interested in in these questions and. And I was interested in how the world, how like nature, quote unquote, became like this divide between nature and the world as an analog um, organism, and then the the computer as a digital thing. Like, what? Where is that threshold where the world becomes digital, which is like a lot of filters that that makes the signal so clean that the computer is able to deal with it. Um, so I just like worked into these like filters, filters, filters. I took apart like electronic components after one after the other, and um, yeah, it, yeah, it, it became like this big, big conglomeration. Is that a word? Um, yeah. Assemblage of uh, materials and materials that represented different 
different um, histories and different um, different crafts as well. So I so I, I I followed through with this project of using reusing materials. So the metal I was using for the for the antennas was some metal I had found in a residency when I was uh, in Detroit, and the um, amplifiers I was using I had found in a little it was antique um, amplifiers I had found in a little shop in Copenhagen. That was actually I'm pretty sure these um, amplifiers were made by the women that Lisa Nakamura talks about in um, you know in what what became Silicon Valley. Um, yeah. So so these were made in the sixties. Yeah. So and then those like these uh, crystal amplifiers that tied back to the radio, um, ham radio practitioners, and um, and then there was a secondhand uh, DS um, DS console. Maybe I should explain this installation. So basically, I had all these um, earth signals that I captured with these DIY antennas. And then I hooked them up to a Nintendo DS console that was playing a game called um, Zombies Ate My Neighbor, which is a game from 1993, uh, in which two siblings are called Julie and Seki. They're hanging around in this garden, basically, and then zombies appear. And uh, Julie has this very funny amazing squirt gun that she just like goes around and shoot everything with um so i was just hooking it up kind of and that's where the name comes from like earth play because these are like earth uh, signals that are playing this game and uh, and i was just watching what kind of gameplay would appear and and they and this very smart tactic actually worked in which julie walks around in the garden and then she hides in the bushes and she would just hide there like on for hours until I disconnect the game. And the zombies are not able to find her. <laughs> and she'll just be there with her squirt gun every couple of seconds. And uh yeah, I don't know. she never she never advances to the next level, but I think she's okay. <laughs> All right, she also never dies though, so that's kind of a win uh, in terms of game standards. She does what? Uh she never dies either, though, you know, so it's, yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess so you were saying that you kind of like packaged humor into that project near the end so is kind of like the, the yeah, because finish. I was through all this, like, you know, like filters and listening to transistors and, um, you know, you can take these antennas and onto different kinds of rocks and crystals and transistors and amplifiers and, and uh, see and you can hear different things. So I hooked it all up to and to speakers so i could hear the signals and i i guess i was wondering like i mean i was getting somewhere but it was just getting deeper and deeper and deeper and then you know a deadline was coming up and my funding was running out and i was like what do i do so so in that way the this kind of pop culture reference came in as a as a wrap-up i think at the end that's really interesting um it's, it sounds like a great project. Uh, I wish I kind of had been there to see the installation. Um, I guess what, what really strikes me when you're talking about it is kind of how serious of a subject matter that you're trying to address. 
uh, and then the fact that you kind of use humor as a way to, I mean, wrap that up. And that's kind of a piece you were mentioning about earlier. But I mean, does that not ever, did you ever have concerns or, uh, yeah, concerns around the idea that humor might take away from the message that you're trying to put into the game? I don't think it does that. Um, I think what is insensitive is to do the answering of questions that are way too big to be answered. And I think humor allows these questions to be open um, and unanswered in a respectful way. You know, it's like maybe that's that's called dark humor or something, absurd humor. Yeah, I'm thinking about when is humor insensitive? And I think humor is insensitive when it is hurtful to other other people or other beings. And I mean, maybe sometimes the 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 plant the games for plant workshop was hurtful to the plants. Um, we tried not to, but um, I can't. You know that that is a question. Yeah, yeah no, I mean that's yeah. a that's a really great kind of reflection on it. I, I think that's really it's just a piece that we've kind of been wrestling with, uh, and I even wrestled with in my own work when we were talking about. I, I was making a game around elder abuse, and we were talking about like we don't want to trivialize this, but we also want to keep some of the humorous game aspects that come out. And like we're, we were concerned in our conversations if adding humor would take away kind of from the serious subject matter. Uh, but it seems that that wasn't so much a case for you in your in your games. No, because I because I don't do um, user centered design, right? So I don't I don't design for other people. Um, I mean, that's where I think the big difference is. Um, right. I I do have a I have a master's. I mean, the, the master's in interaction design is very much about user centered design and and um, participatory design and co design and all that stuff. And I had a moment in my career where I did a sharp turn away from from that and just started to radically prioritize myself and my own knowledge about pleasure and humor over designing on behalf of other people. Yeah, and I think that's something that kind of reflects in, in some of the work that you're doing. And I, I think that's a really great point. And so perhaps maybe just to expand on that a little bit more, I mean, as someone who's looked now at both sides, uh, like in terms of the the very human focused interactions versus the you know you're focused on your yourself and your own designs. It, like, what are some other differences or uh, between kind of those two that you as a designer have to that you you find that as a designer you're, you're making as consideration? Well, part of my decision to do that change was that I I realized that um, when you design for I mean hmm, I mean when you just try to design for yourself and try and, and design something that is relevant to yourself. And that is so, so, so difficult. I just had this idea that if, if I make something that's interesting to myself, then I at least have one satisfied player or, or one person that this project is relevant to compared to, and that that is a, maybe a bit rough on, on like co-design and user-centered design. I'm, I'm sure there are situations in which it is is useful but for me i just i just felt like um i need to know that there's at least one person who who find this relevant and i can only if if i make sure that's me then i know um right. but also that i don't believe in this idea that i'm just me you know i'm not an individual cut off from the world because i share subject positions with a lot of other people so if i design for me then i'm it is likely that I'm designing for a lot of other people as well. 
Um, so that's why I stand currently with my design philosophy. I think that that's like a really great, a great statement. I, I think it's kind of, I mean, I'm sure that those other games you made had audience members for them that definitely would have enjoyed them. And like I said, all the games that I've looked at for you and that you've told me about, they seem either really funny or just really interesting games to play. Um, but I think that's a really interesting approach. And it's kind of one of the pieces we've been talking about as well. And we kind of touched on this already, but maybe you want to just add some more info about it. Is kind of how does your personal subjectivity kind of impact your understanding of humor? Uh, have you had to reflect on what you find funny when you're designing games? Have you had to like really consider like what is humor to you as you're designing? Um, because now you're reflecting on yourself in that manner. I think humor is really tied to who you are and, and your subject position in, in society. You know, as a white woman, you're very much in between a couple of things. So, you know, you really have to manage this, your position, basically, which is that you both have a lot of privilege that can marginalize other people, but you're also marginalized a lot yourself. Um, I'm not a white woman. I'm like, I'm a queer person. So that adds to that. I think when we did the contact this project, we didn't have that awareness. We were just like, you know, prioritize us because this is radical. And um, and I I know we did a, an interview about it in which we didn't really address like trans issues in the best possible way, and that's so that's something I have been you know learning about to to pay attention to people who are marginalized um, alongside me, right. and and how to be respectful. Yeah, no, I think that's a that's that's a, a fantastic response. Thank you. Um, and kind of just building off that as well, and a question we've been asking everyone, and perhaps this is the hardest one, or maybe it's the easiest one since you've got to spend some time thinking about it, but how, how do you, like, how do you define humor, uh, personally? Like, you've been kind of wrestling with these big questions in your game, and you say you leave it up for the players to kind of maybe think about and figure out, but, I mean, you must have thought about this in a little bit, so in, in what sense, like, what, what does humor kind of mean to you, or how do you define it? I mean, there's a physical presentation of humor which is this little giggle you feel in your stomach um which is maybe the best definition of of humor in a in a in a general sense um and then there's a theoretical thought i don't know a theoretical connection to that which is that it's you know like i said before i think it's really tied to your knowledge um from where you are positioned in in society Right. I think I think that's the best. I don't know. That's what I'm thinking about. What humor is? Yeah, I mean, and as as someone who has done a f like some of their own research around like humor and games, and as uh, reflecting on myself as someone who's trying to get into understanding these questions and conversations, like looking for more of the theoretical side, are there some theories of humor that you find really helpful to kind of look at and grasp that you kind of have resonated with? I haven't. I haven't studied humor academically. Oh, okay. Cool. I wasn't. I wasn't quite sure. Uh, so I thought I'd ask, but that's that's totally fine as well. Um, in that, but, in I, a, but I do tie it to. Um, I've been writing about standpoint theory and the way in which. Um, so I have this concept that I call design bleed, which is when you're designing and you're you're designing, um, especially in groups. And then you have that moment in which where you feel kind of aroused or you feel like an ex increased energy uh, in which your kind of humor or your sense of play or your sense of relevance is coming out. So this is not explicit. This is not only humor, but I think it's very much tied to humor. And I connected to standpoint theory 
in this way that that is uh, that knowledge is like yeah I think it's phrased like we have a double knowledge we can have a double knowledge so in the case of humor we would like we understand mainstream humor like we will laugh at the right moments if we have to but then there's also something called a feminist humor or there are many kinds of humors that are positioned at the margins um, that that we understand in parallel to the mainstream humor. That's that's really interesting. Uh, I think that's a great. I, I personally haven't spent the time looking at that. Maybe I mean Mark spent a little bit more time looking at the theory, so maybe he's come across that, and he may have some questions about that uh, before we finish today. Um, but just kind of going back to kind of how you taking taking that into consideration, I guess uh, when you're designing games or when you're looking at projects or games that people have designed, like what is there like mechanics that you consider to be funny, or are there intentionally designed things that you kind of just think are funny in general in games or in projects in that sense? I wouldn't I wouldn't lock myself down to say like one mechanic is funny, or um, I think it's something that is stays open for exploration. Um, yeah, otherwise I would call my work done, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's, that's a very fair point. I guess I was more interested in like some of the pieces and games that you kind of think are are humorous, uh, like personally. Because um, I mean, as you mentioned when we were first talking about Con Touch, this is that like you you and your team went into this very much like we think this is hilarious, and I think that it reads that way for a lot of people. But then based off you explained the feedback for it, it, it didn't read that way for everyone else. And so I'm still kind of curious and kind of like for you, what do you think is funny? Uh, because that's not what everyone else thinks, I guess. So I. I just kind of curious. I mean, I, and I think that's the case, right? We don't all share the same humor, which I yeah. think is okay. That's okay. No, exactly. Um, I want that's the kind of we went through kind of the list of questions that I have here. Um, I was still, I'm still going to ask you a question at the very end. I have one more to ask, but before I get to that one, uh, I want to give a chance for either Mark or Andre to kind of ask a question. Um, should they have any that came up uh, throughout this conversation? Um, uh. I suppose the only kind of question I had, if you wanted to elaborate on it, you didn't have to, is sort of like, how is, how do you feel like standpoint theory is working in a humorous context compared to, say, like a political context, even though humor is political, but, or, or even maybe a secondary question here of what does the laugh do to like the political aspects of, of a project? Mm. And and that's not necessarily like governmental politics, but you know social politics, because standpoint standpoint theory is is pretty critical there as well. But also, as you rightly point out, like is so important about how and when we laugh and sort of that. I don't know if it's necessarily code switching or what, but about you know we know that we can laugh along with the masses. But then there's the second part of that too, right? So what happens there if you wanted to elaborate? Hmm. I don't know if I have an answer for that. That's okay. Standpoint theory talks about knowledge. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. that knowledge project. It's about it's a research methodology. Mm -hmm. Um. So I guess I'm making a bit of a leap, saying that knowledge and humor is the same thing. But I do think that humor is tied into knowledge. Oh. I actually agree with what both of you just said. I think connecting humor and knowledge together is kind of just a way to kind of conceptualize it and think about it is really interesting. It's something that, I mean, I personally haven't been thinking about when we've been kind of having our conversations around humor, but I think it's something that is a really nice direction to start taking. Um, I, I just want to add that I think that humor is very energizing. And in that way, I think it's important for survival. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think that often 
the one role that Yuma plays in my work is that it energizes me to continue. And when you're doing, you know, social justice work or political work, I think having that energizer is really important um, to not, you know, burn out. And, yeah, and the, way that, the way that Huma has functioned in political struggles and, and activism in many different contexts um, is, is uh, I think that's, that's maybe a, a place to look. Well, I think your work actually does definitely reflect that, just how, how you've kind of explored humor either directly or in the, on the edges of a project or at the end of a project. I think the way that you've looked at humor is really interesting, both as like a meditative space, but also as a place to kind of make a statement or to kind of pull people into research questions. I think that's really interesting and, and really novel, especially compared to some of the other projects we're looking at. Because, uh, I mean, just to kind of put this project in perspective, we're talking to also like AAA studio people. Uh, we're talking to other indie designers. Uh, and so it's really nice kind of hearing a research creation perspective here. Um, mm -hmm. no. So thank you for that. Um, before yeah. before we end this, uh, it just also respecting time, uh, I like to always make sure, is there any like question that you had wished I we'd asked or anything that you wanted to talk about coming into today that we didn't get a chance to talk about or you wanted to kind of expand on? Yeah, maybe I just want to say that I have this approach that like humor happens in my games. Like I don't, um, I don't intentionally it, it's not something I work with structurally. Um, it's more something that happens, and I'm really happy when it happens. But I also want to acknowledge that it's a trade. Like, comedy is a trade, and there are ways to work with it um, structurally. Um, but I'm not an expert on that, I, I think. Um, I don't know. That That's just like, I, I just want to be sure to acknowledge that. Yeah, I think that's a really, that's a piece that is kind of been really interesting coming up because we talked to some people where they share a similar idea where it's like, yeah, we were designing and then it kind of became funny and then we kept going with it, um, which is kind of a, a similar sentiment to what you're kind of saying there. But we had other people that are like, no, we were like, this is going to be funny from the start. And so we thought around it. And I think it's really interesting also just hearing how you define, understand and kind of reflectively think about humor uh, from those different standpoints. Mm -hmm. Oh, another way that, sorry for... I'm just going to add this because another way that I have worked consciously with humor when I did co-design or, um, yeah, when I did, you know, co-design or designing bigger groups was to use laughter as, uh, as a collective decision maker. So when you do user-centered design or co-design, there are always these, you know, very sticky question about how do you judge which, which design ideas to go with. Um, and you can analyze it and you can have these structures about you go around the table and you ask everybody and you hear everybody's voices or you can have it more or less a fair in which, um, you know, it's just like the people who are most bold makes the decisions or, you know, there, there are a lot of different strategies for doing these decisions, but I have used laughter as very intentionally as a decision maker. So. It might be that the process is like, you know, really heavy and we're just not getting anywhere and it's like idea after idea after idea and it just doesn't really feel right. And then at some point, everybody laughs. And when that happens, I'm just like, okay, that's it. You know, we move on. We don't need to talk more about that. That did, The decision was made right there when everybody laughed and then we move on. That was our interview with Edith Toft. Thanks again to the Tag Lab for supporting this series and thanks to you for listening.